Welcome to the First Best Nurse Podcast, where each month we share information for and about Atrium Health Nurses. All right, well, welcome to the First Best Nurse Podcast. I'm Carmen Shaw here today, and and Stephanie, welcome back. Yeah, good to see you as always. Yeah, we um, we've had a, some really good uh, topics going on this year. We've had a great year, and it's going to continue today. It, 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 you're exactly right, Stephanie. Um, you know, this is a, a topic that is like really near and dear to both of our hearts. I know both both of us have worked um, and and led initiatives around health equity and diversity, equity, inclusion. You know, within our nursing um, service lines and departments. Um, But we are just so excited today, um, everybody, to have some just some wonderful uh, leaders. But these are female, uh, powerful women within our organization and within the space of health equity and diversity, equity, inclusion, which is so critical um, during this time um, of healthcare changes, healthcare system changes, and really, you know, meeting the needs of our community and population. So, I'm excited to have three uh, great leaders here today, Peggy Harris, um, Brandy Newman, and Dr. Jackie Apollo here today. I'm going to let them introduce our introduce themselves uh, to the audience, and, um, and then we'll get right into the discussion because we have lots of questions. Right, Steph? Oh, my gosh, yes. <laughs> we'll run out of time, I'm sure. We might have to. We're already planning to have you guys back. <laughs> I know. I know. Well, Peggy, I'm going to let you start and then we'll uh, do Brandy and then um, end with Dr. Apollo. Welcome. Great. Thank you. Thank you so much, Carmen. I'm Peggy Harris. I am the Chief Diversity Officer for the Greater Charlotte Market of Atrium Health, as we are now Advocate Health. I have been in this position. I've been with uh, Atrium Health now for close to 30 years. And my background, I am a nurse. I still proudly maintain that connection to the work. And um, in my role as Chief Diversity Officer, I lead diversity strategy and execution for the greater Charlotte market. Glad to be here. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Hi, everyone. Thank you guys for having me on. I'm Brandi Newman, Senior Vice President um, of Community and Social Impact Strategic Operations at Advocate Health. Um, I have executive oversight for the day-to-day operations and strategic services that position Advocate Health as a national leader in community and social impact and health equity. I'm also a nurse, um, so Peggy and I and Jackie, Carmen, Seth, we all have that in common. Um, I've been uh, with the system for 18 years and worked in hospital operations in the past, and so nursing is near and dear to my heart and health and equity is near and dear to my heart, so this podcast is something that I'm very excited about today. Well, hi everyone, and thank you so much for having me. I am Jackie Apollo, and I serve as the Vice President of Talent Initiatives and the Regional Chief Diversity Officer for Atrium Health Wake Forest Baptist. Really delighted to be on this podcast with all of these amazing nurses and uh, just really looking forward to the conversation um, to really um, describe and discuss how nurses can make remarkable impact in the DEI and health equity space. Um, In my role, I am responsible for ensuring that um, diversity, equity and inclusion best practices and principles are threaded across our talent cycle in the way we um, 
attract and recruit and develop, engage um, our talent and our workforce. And that is critically important in advancing, you know, our mission, our vision and our goals uh, for the organization. So thank you for having me. Looking forward to the conversation. Thank you all for being here. And before we start, can I just say how proud I am of you three <laughs> and the fact, well, and really it just shows that, you know, the growth of nursing and the growth of healthcare that nurses are taking this leadership um, opportunity, but it's away from the bedside. It's an important part of healthcare, but it's non-traditional and it's super exciting and really, really going to help move outcomes. Congratulations, you guys. Yeah, I agree with you, Steph. So we are going to get right into uh, this topic. Um, so let's just start with the basic question. What is the difference between health equity and diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, we've heard different terms in the past. We've heard health disparities and um, health outcomes, community outcomes, social outcomes. But we also have heard, you know, things like DNI, DNIB. Um, so help us understand what are the the true differences um, between those different um, different terminologies. So, um, Brandy, I'll start with you from the health equity perspective. Great, thanks. So health equity is really achieved when every person can attain their full health potential, where inequities in both social drivers of health and health system engagement are eliminated. That's really what we describe as health equity. It is the achievement of every individual to attain their full health potential. And so Peggy and Dr. Apollo, help us kind of bring in the DENI terminology and what that means. Sure. Uh, and, and I really love that we're starting this conversation by defining these terms yes. because they are terms that are usually used interchangeably. They are very interlinked, inextricably linked, uh, but they really have a different focus in terms of tactics and strategies to get the work done. So for me, when we talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion, I'm going to take a minute just to kind of define the three terms separately, right? Uh, when we talk about diversity, diversity really asks the question, are we represented? And it really is a focus around the differences and similarities and the culmination of our backgrounds, experiences, and our perspectives um, that we all bring to the table. So that's what diversity is. And then inclusion, on the other hand, is really this notion of honoring individual differences and valuing the uniqueness that um, individuals bring uh, with the ultimate goal being to attain belonging, right? So you want to make sure you're not just focusing on diversity, but you also fo focus on inclusion because that's really what promotes that sense of belonging. And what's important to note is that um, you know, inclusion asks the question, do we belong here? And we cannot get to inclusion without equity. And that's why equity is that central pillar, because what equity strives to uh, explain is we need to be able to address barriers and challenges um, that stand in the way and ensure that we have fairness, justice and balance in our processes, our practices and our policies. So when we talk about DEI, all those three things are linked. And equity then serves as that pillar that holds it together. And then I really view that, I really view DEI more as a pathway to health equity, which, you know, Brandy um, eloquently defined. But I will bring in Peggy to see, you know, uh, if Peggy has other perspectives to lend uh, to that definition. I think, um, Dr. Paulo, that you and Brandy are both spot on. The only thing that I would add is that 
I see diversity, equity, and inclusion as generally speaking, when most people use that terminology as an organizational framework, uh, which seeks to promote, you know, fairness and full participation of all people. So it brings in the diversity component, the equity component, and the inclusive inclusion component, certainly belonging and all that. But typically when people say DNI, they are speaking about the um, framework. How do we, the strategy, how do we execute on this? Uh, and it's not just in the health equity space, but of course it can include health equity as a component of equity as we think of that in terms of fairness and, and how we're represented and how we allow everyone to have their voice be heard. That is great. Thank you for, for clarifying all of that. And, and now the next question that goes with it is how do the two link together? So how what's that intersection of health equity and DEI? And I'll start with that again, since I sort of ended that first part to say that for me, there are intersections at every juncture. It is not reasonable in my perspective to expect to ever achieve health equity if we do not include all aspects of diversity uh, in the conversation or in the equation. I firmly believe that always the devil's in the detail. And um, if we do not analyze the work that we do or our processes from a multitude of angles, then our results probably are not, will probably show up much differently than what they appear to be at first glance. So I think when we think about intersections, as we think of uh, um, a person's ability to achieve their full wellness, you know, if different people may have that at, in diff at different levels. And so you have to think about diversity in that component. You have to uh, think about inclusiveness, how included are people in decisions that affect their, their health equity. And when you think about um, just how we, the framework, how we frame that and put that together. So for me, there are certainly different health equity, diversity, equity, and inclusion, different definitions. We're thinking of different um, processes when we think about that. But I think they're, as Dr. Paulo said earlier, they're totally linked. And in the healthcare space, which we're in, it's impossible, in my opinion, to really do a good job with one if we're not totally uh, immersed in understanding how they relate together. I will add to that and just say, you know, I, I mentioned earlier that DEI is the pathway to health equity, right? Um, and Brandy defined what health equity is, but you, you also must understand that we cannot achieve that health equity if we're not taking into account the diverse dimensions. So we have to achieve that uh, ultimate health potential. It has to be re regardless of race, gender, ethnicity, ab abilities, um, et cetera. And those are common terms that we use when we're talking about diversity dimensions. And Peggy alluded earlier to frameworks, right? So in our context at Atrium Health, and now going into Advocate Health, we have four pillars of what we consider part of our DEI agenda. Um, and we talk about what are the populations that we impact uh, when it comes to DEI, patients, teammates, community, and learners. And so when you talk about the intersections between DEI and health equity, what we strive to do is make sure that number one, the experiences of those four populations are equitable, but that we also understand that you cannot achieve health equity without a culturally competent workforce, right? And we know that there's evidence out there that shows that when you have cultural discordance, so you know when your uh, workforce does not reflect the patient population that you have, it can have significant implications in terms of patient-provider relationships and outcomes and access, et cetera, which I think Brandy would probably be best uh, suited to talk about mm -hmm. our health equity um, intersections and how that also ties into our DEI um, framework. 
Right, that's right. So our health equity framework or social impact strategy, as we called it, is a holistic approach to health equity at Atrium Health and now at Advocate Health. And that holistic approach really is embedded on a foundation of addressing structural inequities. And so when you talk about structural inequities, it really starts and is rooted there. How do we eliminate the structural inequity that's already embedded in our institutions? policies and laws, also our systems, and not just the healthcare system, but legal system and education system and government, et cetera. Those, those structural inequities is what has caused this inequitable distrib distribution of resources and opportunities for individuals. And so those structural inequities is what has led us to having inequity in our social drivers of health and inequity in the ability to engage the health system. So our holistic health equity framework addresses all of those things. It starts with access and that engagement in the health system, the opportunity to be able to access healthcare resources that are available to you, affordable to you, but not only that, free of bias based on any inherent or uncontrollable characteristics, which is where there's an intersection, of course, with DEI. And then quality and outcomes, which is where most health systems lean in when it comes to health equity. That's the first place is to address those clinical disparities. We would say that's definitely important work, but it begins with access. We have to address the quality, how we care for individuals and what those outcomes are. But we also have to address this other part that many health systems are beginning to address now, and that's the social drivers of health. And at our system, we look at it in two regards. One is the acute social needs. I like to say the patient in front of you today that has a social need. How do we assess and address that immediately? And so it should be as easy as a provider prescribing a medication or um, ordering a lab. It should be just that easy for a provider to address a social need that a patient has because that contributes to their overall health and well-being. And then there's the social drivers of health, which is looking really downstream, upstream to say both ways, I would say, to say, how did the patient get to us in the first place like this? What conditions exist in the environment where they live, where they work, where they play that got them to, to our, our system with these social needs? And so how do we as a health system lean into impacting and affecting those social drivers outside of our walls so that patients have the ability to come into our walls and have that equality or equity, I should say equity, in terms of um, being able to access, have the quality and outcomes, and also have their social needs met. Brandy, can I um, add some clarifying questions? Because I think sometimes in the you know, health equity has evolved over the years. So we've spent a lot of time in the term social determinants of health. So have we transitioned now to social drivers of health? And, and why, if we have, why have, have we done that? We have. So we okay. have really called this social determinants of health. And we've learned that really a person's, um, social resources shouldn't be determined. Um, the, the people are not responsible for, right, the environment in which they were born. And so what we are now beginning to use as language is these are the things that are driving their health 
from a social perspective to be this way instead of it being determined. Because when you say determine or determine it, one assumes that it is what it is and it can't be changed. It can't be modified. It can't be improved. And so we know that we have the ability to not only assess and understand what those social needs are, but also to address them. And if we're going to address them and improve that situation, then we can we can drive improvement in health, which is a part of our mission in our system, by addressing those social needs. So that's the reason for the change. I'm so glad healthcare is moving in this direction yeah. and recognizing the the linkages that exist in somebody's life outside of the doctor's office or the the hospital or wherever they land for healthcare. It's like in the in the past. It's almost like. Um, somebody has a nail in their leg and we're just treating the pain without removing the nail, you know, and, mm-hmm. and so they're always going to have that pain. We're not going to make it any better. If we remove the nail, then we can actually help them actually heal. So it's like we're finally embracing that and moving forward. And it makes so much sense. I'm glad it's not easy work for sure. It's not easy to pull the nail out, but um, but it's so important. It's where I think there's there is the potential for some real exciting progress. Yeah. And meeting people where they are, too, I think is the other component. Um, Peggy, let me ask, you know, why does this work matter to you? You, you've, you have been as long as I've known you you know, um, as a colleague here, you have just been a, a, a out loud advocate around diversity, equity, inclusion. So um, share share with me or share with the audience, um, why does this work matter to you? Great. Thank, thank you for that question, Carmen. And for me, I was going to also share a comment uh, uh, based on what uh, Brandy shared just now and which ties into this. So this is a great question. But Brandy mentioned the structural barriers that have, you know, led to where we are today with a lot of the disparities that exist. And I am so proud as a long-term teammate of Atrium, as you mentioned, uh, I'm so very proud of the intentionality that Advocate Health and Brandy's team in particular, the intentionality with which they're leaning into that and not coming at it from a perspective of it's the way it is, it's always what it's going to be. And then to Stephanie's point, the healthcare industry totally is leaning, I think, into social drivers and trying to mitigate, but every organization is not. And so I am just very proud to be a part of an organization where there is intentionality, there's focus, and the intent is to disrupt those things that have caused us to be where we are and to put into place strategies to help move the needle so that we will advance the health and healing of our community. So I just want to say that out loud. And the reason why, Carmen, to your your latter question of why this is important to me, I think because it's steeped in justice. Um, I had a conversation with my team just recently and did a connect to purpose and mentioned a quote by Dr. King around not being satisfied until justice rolls rolls down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. And for me, the work that we're doing is justice work. Health Mm -hmm. equity is justice work. Um, Diversity, equity and inclusion is justice work. And it's hard. I mean, there's so many conversations around it. But I think about uh, my personal why. I have four lovely and accomplished daughters and um, love them. They are very, they are very talented and they are very well accomplished. I have had a wonderful profession myself, a wonderful work career, but everybody hasn't had that same level of blessings when it comes to this work. And so it's important to me so that I leave the healthcare industry 
at a, in a better place than perhaps when I found it 30 plus years ago. And so, but for me, it is about justice. It's about being fair and equitable and helping people to achieve at their full potential. That's inclusion. That's a feeling of belonging. That's been successful in whatever you're thriving, striving to do within the organization, uh, but certainly at the core health equity because we're in the healthcare profession. Thank you for, for raising that. That is, um, it is justice work. And um, thank you for setting that apart. I don't think I looked at it in that, that manner. And I do agree with you. Our organization, you know, has really not only just, you know, committed to a, a mission and a vision on paper, but they have really, you know, executed and acted that out. Um, and we've seen some great outcomes and impact. Dr. Apollo, do you want to share why this work matters to you? Absolutely. I mean, there's so many reasons why this work is important, you know, um, and I'll say it maybe in three ways. There's personal reasons, moral reasons, and business reasons why this work is important. Um, so personally, as you all know, I was born and raised in Kenya, um, immigrated to the United States many years ago, and Growing up in a culture of poverty, I never really perceived my situation as that of deprivation until I immigrated to the United States. And I began to compare lifestyle in the United States to lifestyle in Kenya. And over the years, and as I was working as a CVICU nurse, I always wondered why healthcare disparities existed, right? You know, I was in this country with an abundance of wealth and possibilities, but when I was working in the ICU, I still saw people who looked like me who oftentimes came from poor backgrounds and they ended up having you know, poor outcomes by virtue of their background, perhaps their race, uh, among many other factors. So I, that was always something in me that questioned why do healthcare disparities exist? And then when I looked back and saw some of the challenges that my country and my continent in Africa continues to face to this day, it has always been something that fuels my desire to continue to impact this space, not just within the United States, but uh, globally uh, as well. So the personal why is that, you know, this work um, informs how I interact with people back home, what I invest in back home, uh, because I believe we all should be looking at this from a global perspective and not just our local and national context, but we are a global um, world. And so for me, uh, this that, that's one reason that it's important to me from a personal perspective. And then from a moral case, you know, as a nurse, I think we all know we have a code of ethics that really just calls us to and tells us we have a duty to advocate and promote justice. And Peggy already alluded to that. Um, and the last piece, I think, um, is a business case. Um, the evidence abounds that when you have uh, a diverse workforce and when you're intentional to address the social justice issues and dismantle the structures that Brandy was talking about, you're more likely to have a more productive workforce. Uh, you're more likely to have more uh, profitability. Uh, the performance of your teams will be better. There's better decision-making, better collaboration, which ultimately impacts our patient outcomes, right? Um, so I think the, the work is important in so many ways, and it's really exciting to see that nursing is really leading the way in trying to uh, ensure that we are fully immersed in the work around DEI um, and health equity. And Brandy, I know you have a, a, a why. <laughs> Well, I, I agree with Dr. Apollo in that it's many reasons for me. And I just want to um, kind of drive home a point that she made about the differences between this country and other countries in the world. If everyone in this country 
could enjoy the life expectancy of the top 20% of income earners in this country, we would be the longest living country on the planet. Let's think about mm-hmm. that for a minute. That's good stuff. Her experience of moving to the United States of America, where it is the land of the free, home of the brave, it is the American dream that so many come to this country for, yet to get here and to see that in this country, we have a lot of work to do around achieving health and well-being at its optimal level for all of our country's residents and citizens. And so when I think about it from a global perspective, that's the thing that I think about. If we could achieve this, if and, and that keeps me very optimistic, that keeps me going, it keeps me fueled in, in doing this work is that we have so far to go. But if we get there, mm-hmm. how wonderful it will be to look around and to have that goal and that dream that so many people strive for achieved. So I think about that. The other thing for me um, personally, I'm a women's health nurse by background. And um, I think about the Black maternal health issue that we are facing also in this country, not just um, Black women, but even when you look at it from the perspective of education, right? And so an educated Black woman has an even higher chance of dying during childbirth or pregnancy. Um, you know, I think about that and I think, you know, that's, that's me, mm-hmm. right? When, when you have achieved, um, the, the positions that we've achieved and you have the education that you achieved, one would think, right, that you have done the things that you need to do to be in a position for your best health and to know that we still have so much work to do in that space, to know that even in that scenario, there's still those structural things that have to be overcome, the root causes that have to be overcome. Um, again, that's why it matters to me. And as a nurse and, and thinking about my time on the front lines as a nurse, thinking about being a, a black nurse and a black health executive, I believe to whom much is given, much is required. And that I don't have any reason not to, everything in me, says that this is yours to own, yours to carry, yours to lead, yours to um, commit your your life to. So um, that's what it is for me. Wow, that's empowering. Peggy, you, I, I know just you want, to want to comment. piggyback. <laughs> yes, yeah. I want to piggyback on what Brandy just said because it just um, triggered a thought in my mind and it's just reframing of what she just said. But as she spoke about globally, if, you know, if what, what the top 20% in the U.S. have ac- access to. And, uh, and she called it out in her later statement, the top 20% in the U.S., but when it comes to diverse populations, we don't all have the opportunity for that same level of attainment, even if we are in the top 20%, because of those diversity conversations. I think that's why this work is so important in the intersections that we're talking about. So exactly what she said, but I just want to say that out loud, that what we recognize is that, uh, you know, you can be rich and a person of color, 
and your health outcomes not nearly mirror the, the positive health outcomes as a person who's a, who's white and rich, same level of, of economic attainment or same level of education, et cetera, et cetera. And it's not just health, but it's in other areas as well when it comes to professional attainment and, and things like that. So uh, Brandy said it well, but I just wanted to highlight that because for me, that is also into that justice conversation. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. That's great. That's powerful. Yeah, it's it's hard to hear, actually. It's painful and it's hard to hear that reality. Mm-hmm. Um, with that in mind, though, knowing that, what, what is uh, within Atrium or Advocate, what's our vision, our, our goals around this? A diversity, for me, our diversity agenda that Dr. Paulo shared earlier um, says it all, because we're looking for equitable healthcare and attainment for our patients, for our teammates, for learners and communities. So for me, that would be our goal. And then also lean into our mission. Our mission is also that we take that tagline of improving health, elevating hope and advancing healing for all, for all as our call to action. So what would be the goal? Is that equitable attainment in all these areas for all? That would be my response to that question. And I'll add to what Peggy just said about that for all mission. Um, you know, health equity is in our DNA right? By by way of that mission, it's a part of who we are. It's a part of what we do every day. And so in the health equity space, our bold goal is to reduce the gap in life expectancies in the communities that we served through this holistic approach to health equity that I described, access to care, clinical quality and patient outcomes, addressing acute social needs, as well as addressing those social drivers of health. Yeah, and I'll just add to that, you know, from a DEI perspective, the agenda that Peggy was describing, we also have a bold goal that says we will um, achieve transformative equity. So it's not just equity, but transformative equity, meaning that we're seeking to eliminate barriers, making sure that everyone has access to opportunity, fairness, and justice across our workforce, across our patients, our teammates, um, and our our learners, and our community um, as well. So that is the bold goal for DEI, uh, but also in alignment with our mission that Brandy mentioned and our vision to be a national leader, right? Um, And I think as we come together as Atrium Health going into Advocate Health, uh, you all may be aware that we are about to launch our Advocate National Center for Health Equity, which will position us to be that national leader that can really drive some data-driven you know, impacts uh, around health equity, around uh, dismantling structural racism, around uh, policy and advocacy, some of the things that Brandy had alluded to earlier. Uh, And I would be curious to see, you know, if Brandy wants to add to that, because I know she's critically uh, involved in a lot of the Advocate National Center health equity efforts, which I think is one of the best things that's coming out of this combination and that can really position us to lead the way um, nationally and even globally at some point. Yeah, thank thank you, Dr. Apollo. And and Brandy, can you tell us a little bit more about the National Center for Health Equity with Advocate Health? Sure. We're so excited about the National Center. Um, when our two organizations, Advocate Aurora Health and Atrium Health, decided to come together and combine, this is one of the six pledges that we made is to work towards advancing our efforts together in health equity. And so uh, we have launched an Advocate National Center for Health Equity model. Um, We're building that model out now. Um, The goal is equitable health and health care for all. 
Our mission will be to transform healthcare delivery, dismantle structural inequities, and ensure that all communities thrive. And our model is really one in which we have an incubation hub where we'll co-create, transform interventions, technologies, and products with clinicians in our communities. We'll have an enabling engine to develop and disseminate information, tools, best practices that create value and are supported, accelerated, and scaled. And then the center will serve really as a collaborating body or a convening body or coordinating body to listen, partner, and invest in organizations and people to ensure all communities thrive. Um, one might say, you know, there are these centers for health equity that exist already in the country, and, and, and how will you all be different? Well, the first thing that I think will make our, our center different and a national leader is that we will be unapologetically bold and optimistic. So we know that there's a lot of research out that exists about health equity and it's not good, as Stephanie shared earlier. It doesn't make you feel good whenever you hear those stark statistics. But instead of dwelling on what the facts are in our in our current situation, the goal of the center is to address those inequities and to go about it in a way in which we're bold, we do things we've never done before, we set goals like we've never set before, we engage the whole health system in a way that's never been engaged before, and we're optimistic that we can actually impact and affect the change. We'll be highly integrated into care delivery using the full resources of the health system to impact health equity, and at the same time, deeply embedded in the community, obsessed with outcomes. And the goal will be to really transform our culture, taking healthcare and health equity to the next level. So I've heard our CEO describe it as health equity um, kind of 3.0. We've had version 1.0, we've had version 2.0, but now we're going to that mm -hmm. next level to take it even higher. And so that's what we're, um, that is what we're planning with the Advocate National Center for Health Equity, which will be a, a, a huge part of our system going forward. Thank you, Brandy, for sharing um, the Advocate Health uh, vision for the National Center for Health Equity. Uh, I'm gonna transfer, I'm gonna stay with you, Brandy, just a little bit. Can you share, um, some of the, the the initiatives or actions, specific actions that we are currently making here in the organization or steps that we're uh, taking or actions or initiatives around health equity. And I'm, I'm going to also pass that same uh, question along with Peggy and Dr. Apollo. Sure. Um, you know, we could spend the next hour talking about all the things <laughs> that are happening in our system as it relates to health equity. I am going to select one component of the health equity strategic framework and talk about it. I'm going to talk about access because we have done a lot, especially in the last couple of years, um, and taken the learnings of the pandemic and applied them to how we can improve access for underserved communities. Um, we have invested heavily in our mobile health strategy in underserved communities across our system. We have 12 mobile care units now that include primary care, women's care, and dental care in our Midwest region. And so um, that strategy is allowing us to get to individuals in communities that we've never been able to access before. So we're very excited about the learnings that we 
gained from the pandemic translating into this new mobile care strategy for underserved um, communities. We also have a very robust school-based primary and virtual behavioral health program. Um, we are able to have access in schools that didn't have access to full-time school nurses or um, didn't have access for their students and or staff, where the school nurses can work with our pediatricians to have a secure telemedicine platform to evaluate, diagnose, and develop a treatment, all while the student remains at school or the staff member remains at school using virtual care. And so with that, we are now in 106 schools in 10 counties in the state of North Carolina. And we have seen a 32% reduction in ER visits of those patients. And we also have a high percentage of those students who after that virtual visit are able to return to school, able to return directly to class. And so this is um, impacting health equity in so many ways, right? There's the access component of students and teachers to this resource. But also if you think about health equity, and we talked about earlier, those social drivers of health of which employment is one of. We know in some roles, if a parent leaves to go pick up their child from school, they are putting their job at risk. And so for the parent to be able to stay at the job and participate in this virtual visit with their child, stay, um, you know, continue to work and not have to have that lost work time, or in some cases that lost income, and, or risk their jobs. That is just impacting those social drivers at the same time as access. We know that it's improving quality and outcomes. And in some cases, we may be ad addressing a social need that, that comes up um, with, with that parent and child visit there in the schools. So those are just a couple of things that are new and exciting that we have engaged in in the last few years. I'll let um, Jackie and Peggy share about what we're doing in DEI at this point. Yeah, thanks, Brandy. When you started off by saying, you know, we could spend the whole day talking about <laughs> that, it allowed me really to reflect on our DEI and social impact report. And um, mm. if your listeners have not looked at it, I think I would highly encourage that we uh, recommend that they look at the report, which is available online. But it is a fantastic document that really documents the value of all of the efforts that we are doing, whether it's in DEI or health equity. Um, but, you know, I just want to highlight maybe a few things, you know, definitely want to talk about um, a lot of things we're doing around workforce representation. You know, I started off by saying it's important to make sure that our workforce reflects the patient population that we serve, right? Um, so we do have some very intentional efforts around building the next generation of our workforce, diversity pipelines, and uh, also being very intentional around our inclusive mentorship and sponsorship programs. So most recently, we graduated 23 women in our Aspire Women of Color program, and Dr. Shaw was one of the graduates there. Mm -hmm. We are about to launch yeah. our Elevate Inclusive Sponsorship Program, again, a program that's geared towards uh, developing underrepresented leaders and positioning them for leadership positions, which we often don't see as many people of color in those leadership positions. So that's a really intentional, actional steps that, we, that we're really uh, focused on. And then I, I want to give just a couple examples specific to our Wake Forest Baptist uh, market. We are doing some amazing work in our Maya Angelou Center for Health Equity that is really focused towards uh, driving research and uh, community engagement and addressing social justice initiatives in our Winston-Salem market. 
And the last few years, Wake Forest Baptist has been on a journey around our racial equity task force agenda, um, which for two and a half years, we have delivered an agenda and an implementation plan that is seeking to address nine fundamental equity issues that we have uncovered in our different um, engagement with stakeholders in the community. And we, so we have some very intentional things that we're working to address um, racial equity. And all of these things I think are really uh, important in really positioning us as leaders in our community. Um, and I think the last thing I'll mention is definitely the pearl. You know, we're building a new campus uh, that's mm -hmm. gonna generate more than 10,000 or 11,000 jobs. And so all of those speak to the bold leadership that our leaders have put in place to really um, place us as national leaders in this space. And you, Brandy was right. We could talk on and on uh, around this. But I do want to bring Peggy in because I know she also does a lot around our system resource groups, which is another big part um, of some of the action steps that we are involved in. Great. Thank you, Dr. Paulo. And I'll just share briefly about our resource groups or employee resource groups if you're not within from within Advocate Health uh, and our DNI councils. And so I like to say that we have an army of force multipliers to help us get this work done. So we, with our resource groups and our councils, we engage teammates then to be a part of the action. And so they bring a level of cultural competence to the space that perhaps we don't have intimately, innately. And so they leverage, we leverage their innovation, we leverage their, their expertise to to develop strategies that really help all of our teammates to feel included. I put it that way. They also represent us in the communities that we serve, which is wonderful. So we have more than 15 resource groups and affinity groups and chapters now within uh, the Southeast region of, of, of Advocate Health. And we're looking to expand that across our entire enterprise. We have uh, resource groups around uh, Latina affinity, around LGBTQ plus affinity, uh, African-American women group, veterans, disabled, et cetera, et cetera. And that those groups really have been made the difference in, in helping us then to do the work that we need to do from an inclusion perspective, to help us make all of our teammates feel that they're included, that they belong. They raise their hand and help us then in the Office of DNI to be more intentional in certain areas that where maybe we have had a blind spot. They bring that to our awareness. But also I'd like to mention that uh, an honor that we received, or recognition, I would say, that we received recently was um, being um, uh, recognized by with the National Benchmarking with Diversity IN for being yeah. one of the top companies when it comes to disability in the workforce. I recognize that that's a strategy that we lean into, but we haven't given it as much work as we had hoped mm -hmm. to over the course of the last few years. But what that um, recognition shared with, showed to me was that our culture of inclusion is, runs deep. And so although we may not have had as many strategic initiatives in that space as we would have wanted to, based on so many obligations, so many things that were confronting us, the fact that we scored well and from a national survey perspective, we were in the game. That just tells me, again, speaks to about the culture at Atrium Health, the culture of Advocate Health, that we truly are building that inclusiveness wherein even when it comes to maybe strategies and areas that we are not necessarily directly focused on, that because we our goal is to be cognizant of for all, to make sure that we the things that we do impact positively teammates for all, patients for all, that we end up getting um, scoring well on a benchmarking survey where we 
perhaps could have been more intentional. We thought we should have been more intentional. And in that same space, we're in the process of now doing a, um, the National Benchmarking Survey for HEI, which is the Healthcare Quality Index, which speaks to how affirming and um, our care is, diverse friendly our care is to our LGBTQ plus populations. So I'm looking forward to that. These surveys then just give us a, a lay of the land and let us know where their opportunities are as well as where we're doing well. But to go back to our inclusion councils, our DNI councils, our SRGs, our resource groups, they're the ones who help us then to be intentional in these spaces so that, that we know what we should be doing and they help us to know when we need to pivot and make course corrections. That is wonderful. And thank you so much for sharing just a snapshot of your, your initiatives that, that's going on here at Atrium. Well, we want to say thank you so much um, for, for joining us today. Uh, we're at the end of our segment. And, um, you know, Peggy, Dr. Apollo, and Brandy, we're just so grateful uh, to have you here representing, you know, health equity and diversity, equity, inclusion here uh, with Atrium Health and Advocate Health. Um, you know, perhaps we may have to do a part two, yeah. because I, I think one of the things is we need to, you know, it would be great to understand more how nurses can really have um, a direct yeah. impact in this work. So we may follow up with a bonus episode or, or such to really kind of keep that conversation going. But we want to say thank you again um, for joining us. Thank you, everyone out there listening. Um, to the First Best Nurse podcast. And um, we want to say, go for it, be your best. We are first. All right. <laughs>